Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time on To War and Back. We don't sit around and perseverate on all the negative stuff. We don't want to be a bunch of combat vets sitting around telling the same sad sack war stories, hanging out in the VFW. We create an environment and a safe space for guys that are legitimately in need of service that need to be connected. That right there is really powerful. We're really just trying to provide that platform for people to come together and heal in the outdoors. You know, my main goal is I want to see more veterans outside tying back to that healing in the hospital. I don't think it happens there. I think we all too often we overlook the things that we need that are right in front of us. We stare at our screen or we take the magic little happy pill instead of getting outside. My mission is to find a mission to help my warfighter family. Now that does a couple things. One, it reestablishes mission and reestablishes the group. Because if you're doing something for your warfighter family, you're back into the community. Welcome back. I'm Phil Briggs, and this is the story of U.S. Marine Corps Sergeant Kirstie Ennis, U.S. Marine Corps Major Scott Husing, and U.S. Army Veteran Sergeant Boone Cutler. Now, we've heard how cannabis not only helped Army Combat Vet Boone Cutler get off opiates, but also how cannabis, CBDs, I mean, straight up smoking pot, literally saved his life. Snowboarding has seemingly saved Kirstie Ennis, but her drive to inspire others will take her to new heights. Now for warfighter Scott Husing, life has gone from surviving his own transition to leading Marines in a new direction. I learned more about that when we drove from his home to an event near LA. And along the way, we picked up one of his former enlisted Marines, Nick Velez. Nick fought with Echo Company during those deadly days in Ramadi, Iraq. Major Scott Husing did his job. He was a company commander. As a leader, I think um, we were in good hands. And I don't remember one mission that we did that I would say, hey, our command doesn't know what the hell they're doing. At all times, you know, you know, especially coming from our senior Marines that had been there before and knowing what they had to experience with their command, um, knowing the command that we had, I felt very grateful and very safe, knowing that, you know, if we don't have air, I know that our command is gonna probably make sure that we're probably not gonna go out on this push tonight or on this bug hunt or whatever it is because they're caring about more than just the mission. It's, they're caring about our safety as well. And knowing that, you know, Major Scott Hughes had our back like that, you know, you, you, you put your life on the line for people like that any day. Nick took the leadership he witnessed during combat and applied it to starting a small business when he got home. That business for Nick and a fellow Marine he founded it with is a restaurant called Bastard's Cantina named for their Marine Corps unit, the Magnificent Bastards. We started hooking and jabbing. We opened up our restaurant in 2012 uh, with me pretty much taking care of all, you know, admin and promote promotions and marketing. And uh, we've been doing it ever since. So now we're on our, you know, our second and hopefully third location. 
you know, that same Marine Corps that, you know, you can't drop your pack. And it's the truth. The moment you drop your pack, you're done. And, and you know, Scott and I were talking about this the other day. It's like, you know, when you get out the Marine Corps, you can't drop your pack. There's no transition. You know, it's, 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 it doesn't end. You know, you got to keep that mentality. We operate like we did in the Marine Corps. We have this, we're structured like we did in the Marine Corps. Our sous chef, our kitchen manager, and our junior sous chef and our bartender operate like a fire team. You know, our general manager is your squad leader. You know, my, that's you know, it's, and it, and, and it goes down, it, it goes down. And, and literally, we, it, it's, that's, that's how we, we operate. And, and because we didn't change a goddamn thing, the moment you try to transition and operate like a civilian is where you start fucking up and where you like, you start, you know, having gaps because you're, you don't know how to act like a veteran. There's no, there's no, if you look at, you know, word dictionary, you know, veteran, it's not going to tell you how to act or how to, how to behave. So just do what you already taught and everything will be all right. Cause if that worked in combat, it's sure well gonna work here in the civilian world. While Nick is succeeding, both Nick and Scott saw that many of their fellow warfighters were not. Far too many were committing suicide. And that's what led them to do something about it. They created an organization called Save the Brave. It was about, what, maybe four or five years after I got out the Marine Corps. Um, I, I guess it was just, you know, like when I say happened out of need, it's, you know, everyone went back to their hometowns, everyone back, went back to to reality, and then reality started kicking in, and, you know, you know, then you find out, you know, with Facebook and all, you start, you know, tapping into your buddies, you find out some of them become, become alcoholics, you find out some of them, you know, get into drugs, and then some of them just, you know, take their life and commit suicide, and that was, you know, a problem that, that I think we were facing. And we felt that you know, the only way to do that was to kind of reconnect everyone. And that's really what happened with Save the Brave. It was just, uh, we lost one of our buddies named Simon Lickie. And we all, we had to raise a bunch of money to send, you know, a lot of guys to Minnesota to go to his memorial. And we raised about 18 grand. And we, we, we sent about, you know, 20 guys uh, to Minnesota from different parts of the country. We bought them their air, you know, air flight tickets and, and, uh, hotel stays and, and all that. And from then, you know, we're like, all right, well, we just can't fund it all ourselves with the restaurant. We have to put together a nonprofit organization, you know, something that we can actually, you know, generate and, uh, you know, donations and get people to help. So uh, that's where that happened. And we, we created the non the nonprofit, you know, Save the Brave. We, we became a 501c3. And little by little, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that that I served with and other guys that I didn't serve with that just wanted to help and, and get involved. And in reality, it's been a team and we've been growing, growing little by little. And whenever, uh, when I when I, when I started the foundation, I didn't really have a, a direction, I would say. I just kind of knew that uh, with this nonprofit and, and with this thing we call each other, you know, Save the Brave, you just kind of, you're creating this tribe for your boys and your, your buddies to kind of feel like they belong to something again, you know, after they get out the Marine Corps. And, and that's really just what it was. And you know, it's just kind of, it keeps growing and growing and growing and it's just, uh, it's needed in the community. The best part about Save the Brave is we don't sit around and perseverate on all the negative stuff. And that is a theme that we kind of agree on is that we don't want to be a bunch of combat vets sitting around telling the same sad sack war stories, hanging out in the VFW. We create an environment and a safe space for guys that are legitimately in need of service that need to be connected. And that right there is really powerful. 
And the best part is whether we're up in the mountains here in Big Bear or working with the guys we're following currently in the car, LA County Sheriff's Department, Mounted Enforcement Division, doing an equine event or stoked on fishing, where we go out to the Channel Islands off the coast of California and take guys fishing at deep sea. It's, it's so amazing. And that's Lalo. I mean, he's a huge outdoorsman. But once we get past the, the breaker as we're heading out to the Channel Islands, you lose that cell phone service. So you're totally unplugged and you're forced to just connect. You're surrounded by guys that have shared experiences with you, but you're also surrounded by the people that are supporting you. So these veterans can, if they want to talk, they talk. If if they don't, they fish. And there's no pressure and there's no screwing around on your on your cell phone. You're just totally unplugged. And that's really where, I don't, I don't know, there's no some catharsis like we say. That's where the healing begins because it sounds so cliche, but it's, it does. It, right. it, it's, it's soul food for you because whenever you're surrounded by people that understand what you've been through and understand that tribe and like this is how i like to punctuate like my journey is the the connection you know this is what sustains me some people it's drugs and alcohol for me it's people like that's like my fix is meeting cool people that care and that they want to give of themselves and i mean that's it <laughs> i mean he was he was kind of questioning that yesterday. He's like, I find it hard to believe that just like you eating right and working out and like doing what you do is like what keeps you balanced. And I, I think it really is, you know. The fundraising Scott received weeks ago is only the beginning as Scott continues working on writing and has saved the Brave Foundation. Boone Cutler, like Scott, also drew on motivation from his personal struggles and started something that would go on to save lives. The Spartan Pledge. It started as just a simple oath vets recited at gatherings, something warfighters could actually do to stop the horrible suicide epidemic. Boone explained it to me over a beer at the Red Dog Saloon in Virginia City, Nevada. It's written in two sentences. I will not take my own life by my own hand till I talk to my battle buddy first. That's the first sentence. The second sentence, because that's the short term, but you gotta have a follow-up. What's the long term? How are we gonna keep from getting in this place again? Well, again, a warfighter with a mission is a deadly warfighter. A warfighter without a mission is a dead warfighter. So the second sentence, it's only two sentences. My mission is to find a mission to help my warfighter family. Now, that does a couple things. One, it reestablishes mission and reestablishes the group. Because if you're doing something for your warfighter family, you're back into the community. So we establish the group, we establish the mission, we establish the battle drill. With those three things people live and because it's a pledge they take with each other the last thing any warfighter will do is let their battle buddy down but sadly as Boone was on a mission to save the lives of his fellow vets his health was going downhill fast even though the CBD and marijuana had effectively got him off opiates and treated his chronic pain his PTS and the traumatic brain injury the secondary effects of these injuries were about to kill him. I took a trip to the Middle East for six days. I was in a country where uh, they just don't allow any cannabis products. And if they catch you with it, bottom line is you're going to jail. You can sit there for a couple of years and then you're going to see the judge. Not something I wanted to deal with. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll just suck it up. I'm not going to take my CBD. In six days, I lost at least half the function of my heart. Inflammation went up, 
heart failure set in. So now I come back from the Middle East. I'm having trouble breathing. I'm thinking I got some kind of crazy Haji flu. It's going to pass. It doesn't pass. Things get worse. I end up down in the the ER and they're like, hey, you got a major problem here. They put me in the hospital. I get diagnosed with uh, cardiomyopathy, which is a fancy word for saying your heart wants to stop beating. And I'm in heart failure. And the prognosis is just not good. You know, but, you know, a large, the majority of people with those two conditions at the same time to the degree that I have, um, they die in their sleep between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. It just happens. It's the natural thing that happens. And this was all caused by a traumatic brain injury, which resulted in a heart condition because of central sleep apnea and the drugs that they were giving me killed my kidneys. So once again, it's the gift that just keeps on giving. It, It was rough. Once again, Boone faced an uphill battle. His wife, Melissa, explained how she thought this was the end. I thought he was gonna die. I did. He was pretty close to it. Mm. You know, and you think you're kind of like, maybe you're being a little dramatic. Maybe, you know, maybe I'm just oversensitive because it's him and we're like, we're really connected. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, but when I saw how the pulmonologist reacted to him and how I couldn't get him out of bed, he couldn't wake up, he couldn't go from one room to the other without being so out of breath, he had to sit and just get his breath. If he was talking, he sounded like somebody with emphysema, like that. Oh yeah, yeah. And. Um, I was pretty sure that every night when we went to bed that I had to be prepared for what the morning might bring because he just was that sick and I could not, I'm not going to say I didn't have anybody's help because there were a couple people that really stood out that were, that were awesome. And, um, but you being his support, you were, you were prepared. You were, I had to. You had to be prepared because it was so bad. I mean, he was gray. You know, he wasn't eating. It's like if you've ever experienced somebody's death and it's drawn out, you know, he was pretty much in the throes of it. And no matter what doctor we went to, no matter what news we got, no matter what was going on, every appointment we had, he told us something worse. And you just kind of get to know you know, it's not like there's no rebound. You know, we're not getting a rebound here. What's going you know? And you can tell by how the care providers treat you. Mm-hmm. They're not talking about things you can do as much anymore, like... Things know, in the future. Yeah, things you can, look, you know, we can try or whatever. It's more, let's make you comfortable, buddy. It seemed like this time there were no answers. But Boone, with the support of Melissa, continued to try and find help. I got the opportunity to go down to Panama and get stem cell therapy. And it was, it was a risk, you know, and there's a protocol for the whole thing. And um, long story short, um, you know, we talk about gracious people in the community. And I, I haven't spoke about this publicly, but I will now. I got a call out of the blue. Uh, the first time I heard about stem cells w- was with my my caregiver team from the VA, 
uh, one of the gals who's on that team had said that her husband had had stem cells for his shoulders and his knees and he was doing great. And I thought, oh, that's really interesting. That's fantastic. So I, I had an awareness of it, but I didn't know more about it than that. It was still kind of a voodoo thing sitting out there. And then this heart condition happened and a nice lady, Mama Lutz, Jean, Janine Lutz, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, with the Janos V. Lutz Foundation, Live to Tell Foundation in Florida, she contacted me and she asked me to do her a favor. And the favor she asked me to do was to allow her to pay for my stem cell therapy. And I, I honestly told her, well, I, I got to think about it. You know, I wasn't trying to be a jerk, but, I, you know, I just, I didn't want to take something that I didn't deserve, you know. And so she said, you know, I want you to let me spend my money the way I want to spend my money. So why don't you do me this favor? And, you know. She pulled her own little sigh up on she you. She sure did. And then thought about it for about a day, called her back. And those were hard words to find. Yeah. You know, um, they're really hard words to find to say, yes, thank you. I mean, what do you say? And so we did the research and she was all about it. And it, it took, um, it took a, a number of, you know, the, the, the beginning part of that is you got to go through hyperbaric oxygen therapy for, you know, about a month and a half. And then immediately right after you got to get the stem cells and the stem cell therapy that I needed, uh, was in Panama. They don't do the kind that I needed in the, in the United States. And we're not talking about dead babies. We're talking about harvesting stem cells from a, from an umbilical cord, from a used umbilical cord, something that's going to be trash anyway. And so they, and there's, there's a technique for the way they harvest them that you can't do in the United States. So that's the short version. I can go into more of that on, on another show, but at the end of the day, I got these stem cells. Now keep in mind, I'd gotten so bad that everybody thought I was going to die. I could barely walk to the bathroom. I could get to the car for my wife to drive me places, but that was it. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I was in a wheelchair. I went to Panama in a wheelchair. Um, I went from the from the car to the plane in a wheelchair, got off the plane, got in a wheelchair, went to the location where the stem cell therapy was, uh, booked into the hotel in a wheelchair, and I could get up and down the elevator to where my appointments were each day. That was all I could do. I was dying. And um, they, over a three-day, four-day period, they give me a few shots, and here I am. The word miraculous is used too many times and inappropriately on this planet. What I've been through can only be described as miraculous. And I'm alive again. You are never out of the fight. And I think that's my job here. I think God says, hey, boom, guess what? Here's you another one. And by the way, you're going to figure it out. And when you do, you explain to everybody else how they're going to get to the top of the mountain. I got two tattoos on my forearm. One says, take the pain. The other one says, send me. I think when I got those tattoos, God looked at it like it was a challenge. Be careful what tattoos you get. People like to talk about what I've done for the community. The community has done far more for me than I've done for it. It saved my life in many ways. 
U.S. Army veteran Boone Cutler survived the Walter Reed neglect scandal. He took himself out of a spiral of drugs and suicidal thoughts, only to find himself diagnosed with a disease that was out of his control. Thankfully, he seemed to be given another second chance, and I look forward to seeing what Boone Cutler does next. For Marine Kirstie Ennis, life also continued to be about defying odds. She lost a leg, but became a top-ranked snowboarder. She suffered a traumatic brain injury, but was becoming one of the most inspiring adaptive sports athletes in the country. After I did Kilimanjaro back in 2017, I decided that I wanted to um, make history. I wanted to be the first female above knee amputee to do what's called um, the Grand Slam of Mountains. So the highest peak on each of the seven continents, which is called the Seven Summits, um, and then the North Pole and the South Pole. Ooh, Santa Claus. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so since then, I've just been chipping away at these mountains. I've actually, I actually attempted Denali, the highest point in North America. Um, unfortunately, we had a spin on that due to weather. But then I've summited the highest point in Europe, um, which is over in Russia. And I've also, I also just recently got back from um, a mountain called Aconcagua, which is the highest mountain outside of the Himalayas. And um, Everest is going to be the culmination of all of these mountains for me. Like, Kirsten's was super technical. Kilimanjaro was just a long, miserable slog up the mountain. Obviously, Elbrus was a lot of, like, winter travel, glacier travel, yeah, you know, yeah. testing those skill sets. So there's, like, in Aconcagua was the high-altitude stuff at twenty, just shy of 23,000 feet. So all of these things are coming together to prepare me for Everest. This conversation with Kirsty was about two months ago. Fast forward to the present... This season was historic in some of the worst ways as far as climbing Mount Everest. There were 11 fatalities, and there were hundreds of climbers and actual lines of climbers waiting to make the summit. Kirsty's attempt ended just a few hundred feet from the summit. Short on oxygen and daylight, the Sherpas and her team came to the realization there was a chance they would run out of oxygen on the final few hours of their climb she was forced to make a decision she described as gut-wrenching. Continue to the summit without her team and risk running out of air or turn around without reaching the top. Kirstie's video from the top of Everest said it all. Well, for everyone that's been cheering us on, um, I just want to say thank you. Um, unfortunately, we turned around at 8,600 meters and uh, just ran out of oxygen and time. Um, if we would have kept pushing, uh, really just a couple more hours, and we wouldn't have had enough oxygen to get down to Camp 4. So um, it was rough. Definitely one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. Um, but again, thank you guys. And I really can't wait to share more with you and let you know how it all went. Um, yeah, quite the adventure. And again, thank you for pulling for me. and. Looks like I'll be back on Everest in 2021. Round two. Like every warfighter on this podcast, Kirsty continues to push forward and find new adventures. She plans on taking Everest again, eventually conquering all seven summits, even swimming the English Channel to raise awareness for mobility and prosthetics accessibility through her foundation, the Kirsty Ennis Foundation. This is the story of U.S. Marine Corps Sergeant Kirstie Ennis, U.S. Marine Corps Major Scott Husing, and U.S. Army veteran Sergeant Boone Cutler. 
Yeah, when you're in that small town in Kansas after getting out of the military, there are still people that you can talk to and you can relate to and you can process the different traumas that you've dealt with. So we're really just trying to provide that that platform for people to come together and heal in the outdoors. You know, my main goal is I want to see more women, more kids, more disabled, more veterans outside. Again, tying back to that healing in the hospital, I don't think it happens there. I think we all too often we overlook the things that we need that are right in front of us. We stare at our screen or we take the magic little happy pill instead of getting outside. So really that's what we're trying to encourage and inspire in people. I'm so glad you're doing it for the vets. I'm so glad you've given me this time to put this together that we can share with the vets because, you know, being a warfighter, uh, it's a life that you've lived, but it continues to grow and evolve and your evolution is happening as we speak. I'm just so blessed to be able to hear you narrate it and share with me. I want to wrap up with your mantra because you have one that I've heard and it's awesome and it feels good every time I hear it. So it's the six inches between your ears and what's behind your rib cage that dictate what you're capable of. And I have lived my life since being hurt by that. Keep your head and your heart in the right place and you can make absolutely the unimaginable possible. To War and Back is a Radio.com original series. To War and Back was produced by Andy Jaskowitz, John McDermott, Sage Milgram, and myself, Phil Briggs. I want to thank all the veterans, their families and friends, who shared the intimate details of their lives for this project. I was truly honored to record your stories. For more information about Kirstie Ennis, you can check out the KirstieEnnisFoundation.org, and there you'll find information about all the outdoor excursions that Kirstie goes on with veterans and applications for the ways the Kirstie Ennis Foundation can support your veteran initiative. You can read more about Scott Husing in his best-selling book, Echo and Ramadi. And to support his ongoing work with veterans and other outdoor excursions in California, check out savethebrave.org. Way more than just fishing trips on the Pacific Ocean or hiking trips in the mountains of Southern California. The time these veterans get to spend together with savethebrave.org really changes lives. Boone Cutler can be found supporting veteran causes around the country. One of the causes he's most passionate about is suicide prevention. And one of the organizations he hopes you can support is the Lance Corporal Johnny Lutz Live to Tell Foundation. You can find it by searching for livetotell.org. The Live to Tell Foundation has a calendar full of events all year long. And it's those kinds of experiences that make the warfighter feel whole and help him stay connected. Special thanks to Pete Turner, Jean and Kathy Lumsden, Melissa Cutler, Nick Velez, Christine Pierce, Alice Crouch, and Mike Gartell. I'd also really like to thank Chris Corcoran, Spencer Brown, Tim Murphy, J.D. Crowley, and Liana Huth, and our overall partnership between Cadence 13 and Entercom for supporting, believing in, and bringing this project to life. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 